As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. John Bavan joins us now, the head of the BlackRock Investment Institute. John, to make it simple, you still like equities. Why? I think, uh, you know, we've covered a bit of the central bank landscape here, and, uh, and you know, I, I agree with a lot of what has been said. Um, I think we're going to end up living with uh, more inflation uh, than um, the rhetoric is suggesting. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're only talking about normalization of policy. The Fed, I don't think, uh, despite the, the, the talk, the hard talk, the tough talk, I don't think they will really go beyond neutral, at least for now. They're not intending to do it, uh, really. I mean, if they were, they would show unemployment rising from the unhealthy level that it currently is at. And so given all this, I think uh, we see a bit of excessive hawkishness, um, you know, being uh, being driving markets at this at this juncture. And so we think we're going to be, uh, at the end of the day, uh, I see a rate backdrop that's going to be a somewhat more conducive or supportive of, of equities. And then it's a relative call, right? I mean, right. In this environment, the place you don't want to be is, is in fixed income. So um, I think uh, on the relative basis, equity do look a lot more attractive than fixed income in an inflationary uh, environment. John, uh, we're, we're looking on the Bloomberg terminal at a little bit of unraveling in emerging markets as indicated by currencies. There's other tea leaves as well. You uh, grew up with a Ph.D. at the House of Bernanke at Princeton, where he believes financial stability is everything. From your view at BlackRock, how financially stable is EM right now? So EM is a, is a big space, right? I mean, I'm sorry to, to state the obvious uh, at the outset, but uh, it's particularly important at this juncture because you have a very complex story playing out in EM over the course of 2022. Uh, there's a commodity story that is playing out. So we've seen Latin America been performing fairly well uh, during that period. We have a, a China story, which we think uh, you know is not necessarily EM anymore, but as part of the, the index. And then you have the, the fallout from Russia that has been... Um, that has been affecting especially uh, European uh, emerging markets. So these are very distinct uh, forces. I think overall, uh, we, we, it turns out we're in an environment where rates are still pretty low and, and EM world has been um, earlier on in trying to normalize policy. I mean, they've started earlier. I think they were ahead of this. Uh, and I think that provides a, a bit more resilience. And so that's why we, uh, we continue to be overweight, um, you know, EM local debt, for instance. Um, we think that continues to be attractive uh, in this environment. Jean, how can you look at sectors at a time when so many people are talking about specific idiosyncratic stories within emerging markets? or within the equity markets, if you're looking at, for example, oil versus financials or versus consumer discretionary? And how are you 
surgical as a very big firm at a time when so many people are talking about security selection? So uh, this, uh, you know, this environment is one where beta is uh, is not going to be your your friend. Uh, I guess uh, you know there's um, there's going to be quite a bit of challenges, um, which we already talked about, um, and so I think that makes security selection potentially um, uh, environment more. Pre- conducive for security selection. Um, my team is responsible for broad asset allocation, so I, I'm not uh, I'm not the one that's going to be doing be very sur- surgical on this. But certainly, we have uh, you know a, a large set of teams here that are um, you know seeking opportunities in this environment. I think uh, at a broad micro level, I mean things like I mean the commodity. Uh, story, I think, has a lot of uh, has a lot of uh, security selection implications. Uh, the climate transition, how it's playing, because that's not a straight line, and that's another big theme, I think, on security selection. And I think a third big one is um, making sure that uh, the read through from the rate adjustment, discount rate now that are going up uh, into the earnings potential of companies, that connection is not misread. And I think there's a bit too much of a, a mechanical read through that a uh, higher rate is bagged for, for tech, for instance. We think it's it's a lot more nuanced than that, and that's where the opportunities will will arise. Jean Bavin of BlackRock, the investment institute. Jean, great to catch up with you, sir, as always. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Kelsey Barrow with us right now with Bob Michael, J.P. Morgan on Yield with an exceptionally smart note that pushes against step into bonds now. Kelsey, thank you for joining this morning. You use this phrase oversold. Let's be clear. It's not yield. That's price. Price down, yield up. And you say price can stay down. Discuss that. Yeah. So oversold markets can stay oversold. We've seen a massive rise in yields. It's been globally oriented. You have the two-year German boon above zero for the first time since 2014. Um, And we think that this hawkish rhetoric from central banks around the world is not going to stop anytime soon. I heard you guys discussing uh, inflation and inflation expectations rising. Well, the flip side of inflation expectations rising is that front end real yields are still falling. So right now you have the two year real yield at minus 1.8%. That's almost 400 basis points away from where we got at the end of the last cycle. So this tells me that the Fed still needs to push on this hawkish rhetoric. They're going to need to tighten policy a fair bit in order to John, uh, pull back on the economy. Is, is, is John Farrell, is Kelsey Barrow more hawkish than Summers? Perhaps. Perhaps they're on the same page, but Kelsey, what you think they should do and what you think they will do can be two different things. I'm with you on the should, given what the market's telling us at the moment. What do you think they'll do? What kind of numbers are you looking for on the Fed funds rate? 
Sure. So I think that they uh, are definitely comfortable doing 50 basis points at the at the next meeting. I think that they would ideally like to be above 2% by the end of the year. And I think that the economy will work with them on that. We do still see the U.S. economy as fairly resilient. There's a lot of pent up demand for spending, particularly on the service side. People do want to get out there and they do want to travel. So this long awaited move back from the good spending, the pandemic win, to the pandemic, the reopening winners, that's still really happening right now. And given the fact that wages are rising and the savings rate is low, Mm -hmm. you know, this is still uh, an economy that's operating above trend that can be resilient to some shocks. So Kelsey, that's the reason why I know that Bob Michael likes credit. And I'm looking right now at high yield bonds uh, yields at 6.6%. They have been climbing dramatically. You've also seen investment grade credit uh, yields rise dramatically. How much do you parse out the value value that you're getting by just buying and holding and um, clipping coupons versus the potential rate shock should the Fed go much more aggressively to curtail inflation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen a massive repricing in yields. You have the high yield index above uh, 6.7% in an all-in yield. You have investment grade uh, credit with yields that are nearly double what they were uh, just six or nine months ago. Um, And so there is a lot more value uh, to that credit now than we had before. And at the same time, the corporate fundamentals remain strong. When we look at leverage ratios, we look at the cash that they have on hand. Um, When we look at their ability to maintain their margins by raising prices, uh, this is not an easy time for corporates, but they're coming from a very strong place. Kelsey, we've got a real framework of bear markets in equity. In a bear market in bonds, price down yield up Can there be a catharsis? Like, do people unload bonds in a panic? Is there a history of that? Well, we are seeing a, a lack of, of, of buying right now, I think particularly from the foreign base. And I know you watch the spread between uh, or the currency pair, the U.S. dollar and the yen. Um, one of the, the ways that we're seeing this translate um, into the bond market from the currency market Please. is that weakness in yen is driving a selling from the Japanese investors selling their foreign, uh, foreign treasury bonds or their treasury bonds. Um, and that is putting further upward pressure on yields when there just isn't a lot of people who are comfortable stepping into this market right now and trying to catch that falling knife. So, Kelsey, just explain this and let's finish here. Why are you and the team, along with Bob, still so constructive on credit, given everything you've said about core government bonds? Yeah, so I, I think right now what we want to have is we want to have that credit exposure, but we want to get it in structures that are shorter duration, um, that are floating rate, uh, that protect you from what we do believe is still going to be higher yields for now. Cassie Barrow, awesome, as always. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. 
Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Nobody's like Jeff for you. Jeff Yu is from another planet, and I'm lucky that he comes down to planet Earth to catch up with us this morning. Senior EMEA market strategist at BNY Mellon. Jeff, great to catch up with you, buddy. Let's get to the heart of the city, and that's foreign exchange. Sterling a lot weaker off some really, really weak mm -hmm. data in the UK. I asked this of Jane Foley earlier this morning, Jeff. Mm -hmm. What's the lesson we're learning from the UK's experience with a hiking cycle very early, very early on in that hiking cycle, and a weaker data that's starting to come through? Uh, well, the uh, uh, the lesson here is stagflation has two parts of it. You've got to focus on the stagnation as well as the inflation. And now, as far as the UK is concerned, looking at the retail sales numbers, uh, looking at the gas bills, which is what everyone's doing probably 10 <coughs> times a day right now. Absolutely. You know, stagnation is coming for the UK household. Uh, Jeff, you so importantly, there are leakages within our certitude. There are things that react and change the story. What are you watching as the metric that will change the story out past July 27th? Is it dollar dynamics or is it something EM developed nation dynamics? Uh, I think we're going to see quite a bit of chop and change in EM right now. What has been the theme? Stagflation again. So how do you play that through EM? You want to uh, own uh, commodity block currencies, you know, in our positioning indicators, in iFlow. Every single Latin American currency was overheld, was well owned in the first quarter. But now that's starting to change. We're seeing the Mexican peso starting to fall back. So that inflation protection trade, especially within emerging right. markets, if you look at the RAND, you know, that's probably going to come off now. Are people now looking to go back to Asia? ex-China, Exactly, ex exactly. That's what do we do about is. Pacific Rim, ex-Japan at a 128 out to mm. 130? What does Sing Dollar do, just as one example? So you, you, you look at where dollar yen is right now, and people are thinking, OK, are the German car manufacturers telling the ECB to call the BOJ? No, this is the wrong continent. Uh, places like, um, you know, Taiwan, um, like Singapore, Thailand, you know, these are areas where every 1% move in dollar yen higher actually offsets any benefit they get from dollar stronger as well. So weaker yen hurts them arguably more, certainly more than the US and the Eurozone. So this is where the intra-region dynamics are in play. But we like Southeast Asia potentially as Thailand continues them um, to open up, um, but also, you know, places like Thailand, Korea, the tightening places, you know, these two economies really pushing forward right now. You want to own them. Jeff, a lot of investors have been tying Japan and some of the dynamics there into the U.S. bond market, saying they are the biggest buyers of U.S. treasuries, and this is because of the currency adjustments over history. This dynamic of a weaker yen changes that dynamic dramatically. How much do you think that's going to influence the long end and send yields higher? Mm. I'm actually not too focused on the treasury market, but you're absolutely right in saying Japanese and also I'd add Taiwanese and uh, Korean investors, you know, those big Asian savings pools. It's not the treasury market you should look at. It is U.S. high yield. You know, these are the areas where Asian investors have been picking up coupon, have been picking up coupon over the last few years. Now we're seeing spreads widening. If they begin to exit, if they begin to repatriate, to stabilize things um, to some extent, then the widening uh, that we're seeing due to the Fed right now in U.S. corporate spreads, that's going to accelerate because the Asian bit is gone. Wait, Jeff, let's sit on this for a minute. And are you saying that basically the stronger that the dollar gets and the more you see yields continuing to climb and, and the opposite happening elsewhere, you are going to see more and more weakness in the credit space that perhaps isn't fundamentally driven, but simply a supply demand dynamic? Because if you look at, say, Korea, if I'm a Korean and a Taiwanese investor um, right now, finally, I'm seeing some movement in my own yield curve. While the dollar is strong, while I have good total returns, if I add my coupon, 
take on my to my uh, my duration plus my FX. It's looking pretty good right now. Let me get out. You know, while the Fed is still not you know uh, really pressing the pedal in terms of tightening and capture some of my own yield onshore where I don't have to take into account the FX risk for Japanese. I mean, pension investors maybe they can take into account uh, the higher yields. That same dynamic. They're not getting tightening in Japan via rates, but they can top that up with a higher dollar yen at the same time. So that flow moving out of U.S. Uh, treasuries for sure, but also corporate high yield going back to Asia while they're taking profit on a very structural multi-year total return trade. That is something that could exacerbate tensions in the U.S. credit market. Jeff, this is potentially a massive shift. One thing we haven't mentioned is what you think this means for the U.S. equity story. Mm. Well, the U.S. equity story, I think, you know, that if I look at the um, uh, what, what IBOX high yield, um, it's underperformed the S&P by about, I think, 6%, um, uh, six percentage um, points this year already. So, um, but this wasn't always the case. You know, this has been more recent. So the two were working in lock, lockstep. So from the point of view of an international investor, now you're seeing differentiation. So now that the tightening in U.S. financial conditions is finally moving from equities to corporate spreads, you know, that is the fourth shoe to drop, basically. I think they're going to be more attuned to that. So I, I would expect corporate credit to underperform equities much more up ahead. Jeff, final question from me. Have you got a number in mind for the peak of the Fed funds rate in this cycle? Do you have a number in mind? Uh, so I would actually put, you pick a number where terminal rates, sorry, sorry, where neutral rates is, say you want a three, then you add potentially 100, 150 basis points above that. That's where it is. Absolute basis, absolutely true, but on a relative basis, relative to neutral, Fed will be restrictive to bring down inflation. That number is the one that you need to have in mind. Jeff Yu, FBNY Mellon. Jeff, thank you, sir, as always. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more. We will stop here with a student of this nation. He is without question the most articulate conservative economist we have. Glenn Hubbard joins us from Columbia. His uh, service there is dean of the business school, former chairman of the Council on Economic Advisors. And I really can't say enough about his book, The Wall and the Bridge, where he leads off where the walls come a-tumbling down and Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall and how we have circled around to the chaos of the day. Glenn Hubbard, I want to go back to your Florida and my western New York long ago and far away of 1978, where Milton Friedman just simply said, what is the right policy now? The policy showed up one year later in the form of Paul Volcker. Where is today's Paul Volcker? Well, I think the Fed has now understood that it's been behind the curve and needs to step in. Uh, I do worry that the period from 1975 to 1983 is more instructive than people might think uh, for today. 
I think it's a little naive to think if the Fed wants to crush inflation, the 200-ish basis points in the Fed funds rate is going to do that. So we'll have to see. But I do right. think the Fed has the courage to act. And I don't think the market right. should take comfort in that. I'm not going to jinx you, but I'm not going to mince words. With a Republican president, you're shortlisted as chairman. There's no other way around that. Chairman Hubbard, let me make it clear. Volcker had 12% yields or whatever they were. Powell has 1% yields, 2% yields. We can't do what Volcker did, can we? Well, it's difficult, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Not so much about the Fed's courage, but about other things. For example, fiscal policy in the budget. As the Fed tightens, the federal deficit gets a lot worse. We've shortened the maturity of the debt. We have a very large debt today relative to what Paul Volcker faced. There are also issues of how much of a recession the Fed is willing to tolerate. If the Fed wants to get back to 2% inflation, I find it hard to believe that a soft landing is possible. Glenn, what does that mean? You were saying, and I want to pick up on this, this idea of the fact that there seems to be complacency in certain risk assets. Where is that complacency? How disruptive could these uh, tightening cycles be for markets? Well, a lot depends on how far the Fed feels it has to go. Uh, you, you mentioned before about the possibility of several 50 basis point hikes. I think the Fed will take a look and see what's happening in the economy. But I don't think we're in stagflation right now. I think we're in an inflationary boom. I think there's a lot of wind at the back still. So I, I do think the Fed is going to have to take fairly bold action, not like Paul Volcker, but pretty bold. Do you believe that Bill Dudley is correct that we're going to see 4% Fed funds rate over the next two years? I don't think you could rule it out. I think it depends, obviously, on geopolitical events that none of us mm. can sit here and forecast today. But I do think that it, the Fed should be prepared to do what it takes and have the market believe that it will do what it takes to put the inflation genie back in the bottle. Glenn Hubbard, moments ago, a world-class economist, Ingvis of Sweden and the Stockholm School, just came out with a stunning headline which directly addresses this theme. Dean Hubbard, uh, Ingvis of the Reichsbank, says, not a period of normalization, but a new policy. Is that really what we're talking about here, is we need to make up a new policy, original economics? I don't know that it's a new policy as much as going back to being serious about the factors that cause inflation. We got this inflation because demand was growing too fast relative to supply. It's not even that complicated. It's not all Vladimir Putin and it's not all supply chains. And so I think it's more a matter of getting back to basics, to be honest. Okay, so we had a big, big fiscal impulse. What is the Hubbard prescription away from the politics of it all to diminish this inflation down to, say, 3% or lower? Well, we, are, we will already see a winding back of some of the fiscal impulse simply because we won't likely yep. see additional stimulus. On monetary policy, the Fed has to follow through that it's very serious and that it's not simply underwriting a put for the stock market uh, every time financial markets have a hiccup. We're speaking with Glenn Hubbard of Columbia University, and we're talking about the new dynamic and what the Fed is looking at with respect to inflation. What about the labor market? You write about economic bridges and the economic bridges at a time when participation rate remains well below where we were pre-pandemic. How does the Fed effectively curtail inflation while allowing that participation rate to get back to something that is more representative of a robust economy? Well, it's a good question. Participation is a critical social issue. I don't think letting the economy run hot 
is going to fix the participation problem. There are things that can, training, education, a lot of fiscal interventions, but they're really not in the Fed's toolkit. The labor market, as the Fed should see it, is actually running quite hot. It would be better if the administration focused more on participation, but so far not. How much has the Fed lost credibility in trying to address issues that really are only addressable on the fiscal side? Well, I think the Fed still has abundant credibility with the public. I, I really do. I think the Fed's conversion recently has helped that. But I think the Fed does itself no favors when it tries to widen its role in issues that are really more for fiscal policy. If members of Congress and the administration right. won't do the right thing, that's not an excuse for the Fed to step up. Glenn, we had an interesting debate yesterday with Claudia Sam out of the Michigan Academic Assets, Matt Shapiro, Kimball, and the, the rest of them out there. And, and she was really quite heated about the policy gloom of stagflation. Now, is, is it precisely Hubbard economics? No, it's not. But what does the stagflation gloom get wrong? Well, I think if you start up where we are now, I think we're in a classic inflationary boom. We've seen fairly good numbers for output, for jobs. Right. We're running ahead of potential growth. We're in an inflationary boom. We're not in stagflation. So, Glenn, this is critical. Do we underestimate grossly, Republicans, Democrats, economists of all persuasion, do we just simply miscalculate the technological impulse that's making this so difficult right now, the benefits and the, the, the hazards of a technology revolution over decades? I think we do, Tom. I, I think that technology has been an enormous source, obviously, of productivity growth. I'm very optimistic for that growing going forward. What makes me worried is not science or economics, it's politics. Whether we figure out how to help everybody get involved in the gains from technology, that's really where the political disruption is coming from. Yeah, I, John, I think this is so important, this idea of the political disruption of technology. It's something Glenn's written about for years. And to me, John, it crosses all politics. Just wonderful to catch up with Glenn, as always. And Glenn, we have to go. So thank you, sir, as always. Glenn Herbert there of Columbia. Fantastic on the Federal Reserve <laughs> and beyond. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more. If long ago and far away, you are an Asian and you come in through Ellis Island and end up in Stockton, California, and if you're possibly better than good at mathematics, maybe you go to Washington and it was not Mr. Smith goes to Washington, it was Mr. Singh goes to Washington. Dalip Singh's great-granduncle was the first Asian in Congress 
back in 1957. It is a heritage of academic excellence. Dalib Singh joining, joining us now from the White House is Deputy National, uh, Deputy National Security Advisor on International Economics. Dalib, your title is baloney. What you really are is the most knowledgeable person about the sanctions that we have on this war on Ukraine. Give us an update this morning. Are our sanctions working against Mr. Putin? Yeah, you've oversold me, Tom, but thank you for that introduction. Yes, the sanctions are working, but let me, let me explain the objectives. Uh, we had three going into this invasion. One is leave Russia, uh, leave the world knowing that this invasion by Russia would be a strategic failure, galvanize and unify the West, and have Ukraine emerge as a sovereign nation. Now, the sanctions, uh, they're having the debilitating hit that we expected. The economy is going to contract by double digits. Inflation in Russia is at 17.5%. Uh, you have more than 750 companies that have already fled Russia. More than 200,000 of Russia's best and brightest have exited. Uh, the country's on the cusp of default. The country is mm -hmm. ice becoming isolated into a pariah state. If this is the end game that Putin wanted, I think it was a big miscalculation. Mr. Singh, you are front and center, and particularly with your family's heritage, of the need for the White House in America to convince India to hold back from the behavior maybe of the last number of weeks since February 24th. What is the Biden administration's plan to convince India to support our sanctions, to support this allied effort? Well, India is a friend and a partner. I have deep personal affection for India, as you're alluding to. Um, but, but look, this is not about the unilateral exercise of American financial force. Our conversation with India is, look, we're trying to uphold and defend the core principles that underpin peace and security for all of us. That's a shared interest with India. Uh, we've also pointed out that as Russia becomes uh, China's junior partner, and, uh, and, and as Beijing has more and more leverage over Russia, uh, that's not going to play to India's benefit. So we want to step up for India, help it diversify away from Russian defense equipment. Uh, we want to help uh, India diversify away from Russian energy sources. The, the amount that India imports from Russia in terms of crude oil is a very small percentage of the total, 1% to 2%. Uh, just like we're doing with Europe, we want to step up for India and be a friend and a partner. And I think if we do that and we work together on the spillovers from energy and food and migration, and, and anchor the economic relationship we have with India. Over time, uh, we think if we play the long game with India, it'll accrue to our advantage. Dalip, is it the same story with China? Well, look, China has a choice to make. If it's serious about uh, uh, upholding the principles that it espouses, sovereignty and territorial integrity, this is the moment to show it. Uh, Europe is watching, the U.S. is watching, the world is watching. Are they serious about these principles? Uh, and, and do they care about the, the spillovers, the global spillovers from Putin's war in energy markets and food? You know, they already have a homegrown supply shock uh, from the zero COVID policy. Do they want to add to that shock? Um, so we're watching very closely. Uh, we have options in case China actively attempts to undermine uh, our sanctions or are, backfill those measures. What, what are those options, Dalib? Well, I don't want to specify what those are. Uh, I think you know what they are. We have a range of tools, including secondary sanctions. We always carry that stick, but we don't wave it around. 
So but that, that's the key, and you don't wave it around, you carry that stick. But there's this debate going on whether to ease Chinese sanctions, actually, uh, or Chinese levies anyway, in order to reduce the inflationary pressure on one hand while also threatening sanctions on the other if there isn't a more active pushback to what we're seeing in Russia. How does that balance get adjusted? How active are those conversations that the administration is having with China right now? You're asking about the Russian sanctions, right? Well, the, well Ch- Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen actually talked about the potential for putting uh, some restrictions even on China should they not come out more actively or un- undermine the allies' efforts. And I'm wondering how much those are discussions right now. Well, look, our, our, our first and best option is diplomacy. So our, our efforts, I think the Secretary was alluding to, are to broaden the coalition of countries that are applying the sanctions. That increases the direct impact. It also increases the indirect signal that this is, again, not just a U.S. effort. This is a, a shared global desire uh, to impose costs on a country that's brutally invaded 44 million innocent people. Right. Now, she mentioned a range of options that are at our disposal if, if China or any other country attempts to undermine our efforts or tries to backfill the export controls. But uh, I don't want to go any further than that. Mr. Singh, thank you so much. Too much to talk about. We hope to speak to you again soon. Dalib Singh is the White House Deputy National Security Advisor. And I kid you not, folks, he is arguably the number one person we have on the many nuances of these sanctions. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.